All right, children, first to sixth grade are dismissed. Everybody else, if you have a Bible, you can take that out. I'm going to be reading the scripture passage this morning from Galatians 3. Uh, It'll be up on the screen as well, so if you forgot your Bible, you can look up there. This is kind of a long passage, um, so try to hang in there. (laughs) But it's Galatians 3, 1 to 22. It's what Bart's going to be speaking from this morning. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by, by, by believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why, then, was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred has come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, employs more than one party, but God is one. It is the law, therefore, is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through the faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. 
before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come could be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified through faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Amen. Amen. So aren't you excited uh, to study this passage? Thick, isn't it? Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to just, uh, a lot of times I put on a, a preacher hat, which is more like trying to encourage you, or, but today I would like to teach, if it's okay, because we're never going to make it through this passage together uh, if we don't. So pray for God's anointing to be here uh, so that this isn't just some information that seeps into your head, but that it, it, it'll be life-giving to you. And I promise you, I promise you, if you'll hang in there as we weave our way through, it will be a blessing to you, and it will in turn change the way you live. Because the Word of God is, has power, right? And, and, you know, when I start to preach through different passages like Galatians, I get excited over certain passages, and, and they really inspire me. I'm, you know, I love this passage. I'm going to preach this book. And then I get to chapters like this, where I'm like, why in the world did I say I was going to preach through this uh, chapter? There's one verse. There's one verse in this chapter. By the way, many commentators say this is the most complex, complicated of all the chapters in Paul's writings. There's one verse. It's either 20 or 22 that uh, one commentator I read this week said there are 300 different possible interpretations of this one verse. So I'm going to take us through all 300 this morning so because I want us to be fully equipped. Don't run out. Don't run out of the building. No, we're not going to do that. But Lord, I do pray that you would give us revelation about your plan and your purpose today and that you would speak to our hearts. We want to walk in freedom. It's our desire to walk in life. And so, Lord, Spirit of God, come, uncover for us. We find purpose and meaning in this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. We're headed to chapter 5 where Paul says, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Just two things to keep in mind. Paul is writing to believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to believers to say, hey, Christ has set you free. Don't get put under slavery again. Don't let someone burden you down with this yoke. So I'm saying that to you because you're believers. Most of us here, some may not be there yet. Some may be still searching, but for most part, we have believers in this room, people who are followers of Jesus Christ, which means this, you're in danger of picking up a yoke of slavery. The church in Galatia had really uh, gone a specific direction. What had happened is Paul went in and established the church. Following Paul, some Judaizers, as they're called, Jewish people, came in who were saying to the Christians, now the church in Galatia most of the people come from a Gentile background. And so these Jewish Judaizers were coming in and saying, hey, Paul's gospel was not enough. Really, to be a Christian, 
You have to not only follow Christ, but you have to become Jewish. You have to become Jewish. Now, let me just say that I, I am all in favor of studying feast days and looking at our Jewish roots to say, how does Christ fulfill them? But uh, that's not what's happening here. These people are saying, you've got to follow the law. In other words, they're not saying study the feasts in order to understand how Christ fulfills them. They're saying, you've got to do the feasts. If you don't do the feast, then God is not going to be happy with you. He's not going to bless you. If you're not following the law, if you're not following the Sabbath, if you're not circumcising your young males, if you're not following the law, you're not, God's not going to bless you. And Paul, Paul gets angry. Paul says, listen, first of all, this is not my gospel. This is the gospel of God. What I preach to you is Jesus and Jesus alone. And in fact, any revision of the gospel is actually a reversal of the gospel. That the gospel is good news. It's all about what God has done for you. It was never about what you did. And the law, as we're going to see this morning, is about what you do. Don't add to the gospel, because when you add to the gospel, you actually reverse the gospel. You, you make it null, because the gospel is freeing. The gospel is so good that we in turn think that when we come to know Jesus, okay, I couldn't save myself. But now that I am saved, I must owe God something. I have to earn my freedom that's been provided. And, and the gospel is so unbelievable that God says, you didn't earn it to get in and you can't earn it to stay there. You don't owe anything. You can't owe because Christ hasn't quit paying. He quit paying on the cross, but he's still interceding on our behalf at the right hand of God the Father. As soon as you get into an I owe God mentality, you're going to be in danger of being trapped by a yoke of slavery, which today we would call religion. And we are so religious because we feel like we have to do something to keep God happy with us, to keep his favor pouring down upon us. Jesus came to free us from religion because religion says this, you can do this, you can earn this, you can work your way into this, you can, it's, and the more you work, the harder you um Give to your effort, the more you're going to be blessed. I, I watched a movie last night with Kathy. It was called The Founder. Uh, again, I don't recommend movies. Um, but this movie was about Ray Kroc, who is known as the founder of McDonald's. Uh, actually, he's the thievery of McDonald's. I mean, if you watch the movie, basically, he stole these, this idea from these brothers, and he's brilliant in his own way. But his motto he, he listened to a lot of Norman Vincent Peale power positive thinking records and, and in, in which it said, it's not about education, it's about perseverance. It's not about gifting, it's about keeping going. It's not about, and so in his mind, what this meant was, I get to run over everybody who's in my way in, in order to accomplish my purpose. Listen, religion is the same way. Ultimately, if we turn into religious people, what we do is we end up running over people. We end up harming people. We don't end up 
bringing them to the gospel. Because I believe in this passage, though Paul is talking about the law, we can, we're going to see how the law applies, but he really extends it to the idea of man doing, which is religion. So I want to contrast religion versus the gospel. Religion versus the gospel, using some passages, and you can see in your notes, I put ton of passage, scripture passages. So there's a lot of scripture we're going to look at. Hang in there. I'll still try and make it fun. I don't have a lot of really, I don't have movie clips or exciting stories because we just don't have time, but we got a lot of scripture, which should be just as fun, right? So <laughs> here's the first thing. Religion versus the gospel. It's earned versus gifted. Earned versus gifted. Here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, by the way, this word bewitch, just look up here for just a second and I'll come back and read it. This idea of bewitching, it's like, it's, it's translated different ways in the passage, uh, depending on who you read, but bewitched is like, who's cast an evil spirit on you? It's not just like, who has fooled you? He's like, who's, who's thrown this demon in your midst kind of thing? And, and the idea is that, that evil eye, do you remember that kind of? Evil eye, I can't do it very well. My mom, whoa, she could do it. If we acted up, man, it was like, you know, um, my brothers and I, my brother and I, my sister, we'd, we'd sit next to my mom in church until we we're old enough to misbehave somewhere else. And so, but, you know, my mom had this deal where she would like clear her voice and look at us. And every time my mom got a cold or cleared her voice, we you know, so that's a, that was her sign we had done something wrong. So, but she could look at us and it would just kind of pierce you. Now, in a bad sense, that's what Paul is talking about. Who, who's like, who's looking at you? Who's bewitching you? And let me just say this. Religious people give more evil eyes than any other people I know. Why? Because they, they feel like if they earn something and they're working for it, They've, they've given their, you know, I'm going to do it. Then what they do is they start judging you on the fact you're not doing it. And then they start looking funny at you. And it's, a, honestly, it is bewitching. It captures you in a way that you shouldn't be captured. And that's what's happened here. These religious people have come in and said, you've got to earn your way in. You've got to do the law. You've got to do the stuff. And Paul is saying, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, translated religious acts, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? By the way, this is really important, believers, because he's saying, you start up by the Spirit. Let's just say you receive the gospel by Spirit. Now, what makes you think now it's up to you? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, we're going to talk about this in just a minute. He, Paul is making, it, it's a brilliant argument, but it's complicated. 
The brilliant argument to the people who are saying, listen, if you want to be, if you want to be a good Christian, then you got to be a good Jew. So what Paul does is he flips it on them. And he says, okay, let's talk about the father of all Jews, Abraham. How did he become righteous? By the law? He's going to make it clear and just say, nope, because the law wasn't given for another 400 years. So it wasn't by the law that our very father, Abraham, became righteous. So that can't be the way we get righteous. Are you with me? I like this. I think it's fun. I mean, it's, it's great. He's saying, how did he get righteous? He believed, trusted God. By faith, Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. By faith, he, 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 though he was old as dust, and his wife was old too, he believed and had faith enough that he was going to be the father of a great nation. 90, what, 98, 90? Abraham, against all hope, believed. How did Abraham become righteous? He had faith. Paul is going to say in this from the start, hey, listen, it's from faith, first to last. It was never by the law that you got righteous. Never by the law you got righteous. It's always been by faith. And he's going to say, why was the law given then? We'll get to that. But here's what he's saying. It is, it is not earned, meaning you can do it. It's gifted. God gifted Abraham. Abraham believed in faith. It was given to him as righteousness. And it's the way God's economy has always worked. Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Curses is everyone who does not continue to do what? Oh, my Lord. Everything in the book of the law. Everything. Here's the idea. James says it a little clear. He says, for whoever keeps, forever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of what? Breaking all of it. In God's economy, here's how things work. You commit one sin, you're a sinner. Well, that's not very fair. I mean, we think in scales of justice kind of thing. All right, if I do 51% of my life as good stuff, 49% is bad, my good outweighs my bad, surely God won't separate me, punish me, fill me. Listen, in God's economy, it's this. One sin equals sinner. And the wages of sin is that. It's, we don't think it's fair because we're whacked. I, I, let me just ask you this. How many murders do you have to commit to be a murderer? One. That's the way we think. Okay, just one murder. A, a totally bad person. He's a murderer. But when it comes to our own sin, we're like, ah, one sin God will overlook. Paul says, listen, he, he, uh, here's the deal. You can't earn it because everyone has done at least one thing bad. One rebellious act. And all of us have done a lot more than just one. You know, we're lucky if we're even in the 50-50 category, honestly. You know, I think if we got to God before God and we even wanted to go on the 50-50, we'd probably almost all still lose. We're, we're that bad. But God 
gifted us his presence. He gifted us this relationship. You can't earn it. You can never earn it. It's all about what he has done for us and how we receive this gift of grace. Don't let somebody, don't let somebody enslave you by putting this yoke of slavery of religious activity back on you. Now listen to me carefully, carefully. I'm going to get to this point. Paul makes it. I'm going to make it over and over again. If at any point in this sermon you start to think what he's saying is, I can go just sin and it's not a big deal, you've missed the message of the gospel of grace. Something got whacked. But you know what? We're so bad, and I'm using this term whacked a lot, I know. We're so messed up in our head that that's where we go. That I don't have to live a holy, righteous life because I can't earn it anyway, so I might as well just keep on sinning. Should I just keep on sinning more and more so that God's grace can abound more and more because that's what this is all about? Heck no, Paul says. No, that's not the way. So you're going to be tempted because that's how messed up we are at some point to feel like that's how great the gospel of grace is. But you'll see Paul is saying as we go on, you're going to want to. You're going to want to live this life because of what God, not because you have to, but because you want to. All right. Um, <clears throat> Brennan Manning wrote, um, what do you write? Ragamuffin Gospel. Um, the, the life of Brennan Manning was really fascinating. He was a Catholic priest, went over to France, spent six months in a cave. Yeah, I, I mean, just all of this stuff. I mean, he was really lived an aesthetic lifestyle and um, uh, fell in love with a woman and left the priesthood to get married, but he had an alcohol problem, which eventually destroyed his marriage. Had this incredibly vital faith with the Lord in the middle of his terrible difficulties and struggles. Ragamuffin Gospel is a very influential book. Uh, Manning died back in... 2013, 2014. Um, but Ragamuffin Gospel, if you remember, Chris Mullen, his band was named Ragamuffin Gospel. Um, I, I've heard Bono of U2 quote Brennan Manning. I mean, he's had a real impact in his, in his writing. And he wrote this book called Abba's Child where he's reflecting on, and he's very transparent about his own failure. But he talks about religious people. And he says, I was addicted to religion just as much as I was addicted to alcohol. And here's one of the things he says in Abba's Child. Paradoxically, what intrudes between God and human beings is our fastidious morality and pseudo-piety. You can write those words down. You'll probably want to use them sometime later today. <laughs> It's not the prostitutes and tax collectors who find it most difficult to repent. It is the devout who feel they have no need to repent, secure in not having broken rules on the Sabbath. Jesus did not die at the hands of muggers, rapists, or thugs. He fell into the well-scrubbed hands of deeply religious people, society's most respected members. It's the difference between a religious mindset and a grace mindset. The grace mindset is the, the woman who breaks the jar and puts it over Jesus' feet and wipes it off with her 
care. The religious mindset is the set, one who says, how dare him come into our temple and challenge us on our exchange program here. We know that the wages of sin is death, but the what? It's a pure and simple gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, we got three more points, and I'm going to move quicker. Religion versus the gospel. The second one is a system versus a person. A system versus a person. A system is this. You've you got to learn the right behavior. You've got to behave the right behavior. And, and then, as long as you follow this system, this systemic way of thought, then you'll be made right with God. That's really what legalism is. That's what the law is, says. Follow all of these things. Learn these things. Follow these things. Do these things. And you'll be made right with God. The gospel is all about a person. It's all about Jesus. In Galatians 3, 11 through 13, moving on down the passage, it says, Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Here's the idea. If I just believe in God, then I'm good. And then if I believe in God, then I do the right stuff, then God won't be mad at me and I'll be in a right relationship with him. It's a systemic way of thinking. And let me just say this. We're, we're going to struggle with this word believe for just a moment uh, because Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and yet James says, excuse me, I'm going too fast. James says, you believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So wait a minute, Abraham believed it was credited to him as righteousness, but the demons believe and they shudder. What's the difference? He's talking about the, uh, the difference between mental assent. The demons believe in God. They know there's a God. But Abraham believed in that he trusted in God and followed God. It, there's a difference. There's a difference between believing in God and having a relationship with God. And we, if we're not careful, think it's okay just to believe. This kind of belief. The demon kind of believing. An acknowledgement that there is a God. Jesus, Jesus doesn't want us to accept a system. He wants us to accept him. To be in relationship with him. Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So people receive God's promise, according to Romans 4, by having faith. This happens to be, this happens so the promise can be a free gift. As systems go, the law is perfect. Do you, do you understand? There's nothing wrong with the law. Paul says it over and over and over again. Who, who gave the law? God gave the law. God didn't give something bad. He gave something good. He gave the law. But Paul is saying that the system of the law is not what God was looking for you to be made righteous. He's saying... He's saying, 
God wants to have a relationship even with his people, and it's all about faith. And then people of faith are to be a light to the nations. That's what the nation of Israel was to be. So they followed the law, which was a radically different way of life than all the other nations around, so that when those nations looked, oh my goodness, these people live different lives. They're blessed of God. Oh, there is a God. So that they could come into relationship with God. The problem was, the nation of Israel started saying, the law is what matters. It's all about the law. we got to follow the law. we got to do the law. And then we're going to condemn people and beat them up if they don't do the law, if they don't follow a system. Here's the deal. A religion, religious mindset is all about systems. And systems don't save people because you can't fully follow a system. Forgive me for one second. I want to comment on the, the events of the week. <clears throat> I, I, I want to condemn racism in every single form that it takes. But if we think we're going to change the mindset of racism by instilling a system, we are deceived. Why? Because racism goes to the heart of a man or woman. Racism is about a heart that says, I'm better than. My people are better than. And, and the only thing that can change is God changing the heart of men. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have laws and rules that, that say we're not going to. But when we stand back and we look at the United States and we're just like, what? How is this even possible? I'll tell you how it's possible because the heart of men has not been changed. And, and I can't remember the quote by um, Martin Luther King, but it, it's basically this. You, you don't cast out darkness with more darkness. You cast out light. I mean, you cast out darkness with light. You don't, you don't overcome hate with more hate. You overcome hate with love. Listen, people, what we have to offer is not a stop doing kind of thing. What we have to offer is the person of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus enters people's hearts, he'll change the perspective of how we see other people. And, and this is where I would say it is obvious to me that in many sectors, Christianity is about a system. It's not about a heart. Because when Christians stand up and declare racist ideas, I would say, I question. I question your relationship with God. Let me just put it like this. You, you're, you say you hate blacks and you hate Jews, but you're saying that a, a Jewish guy died for me and saved me. First of all, it's stupid. It's not even logical. It doesn't make any sense because of so many reasons. I, I'm digressing, and I know I'm getting off on a, uh, on a tangent, but I just want to say that what we have to offer to people is not a system. Don't go out to the world and say, hey, here's what you got to do. You got to go to church. You got to read your Bible. You got to give to God. You got to be part of a small group. If you want to be a Christian, here are the things you, you got to do. Because we will end up in the same trap. I, I know I'm stuck here, but i got a couple more things to say. <laughs> My fear always is that in our children and youth program, we're raising up people who understand a system but, but don't know their God. 
And at some point, they'll abandon a system. They'll get out. Especially when things get hard and they think the system doesn't work. Or they know, I can't live up to this system. I can't do this system. I must not be in relationship with God because I went to college and I did something bad and now God's got to be mad at me and this, I failed the system and therefore I'm in... People, we got to teach our children from the day they're born to the... To, to they go away to college. This is all about your relationship with a living God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Do we want to teach them Bible knowledge? Do we want to teach them right from wrong? Absolutely. But if we teach them that their righteousness is determined by that, we've, we've messed up a generation. We've got to teach them who Jesus is because it's only the person of Jesus that will change their life. Don't treat the... I don't know if I did this verse yet. Galatians 2.21 says, don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if we could be saved by keeping the law, then there was no need for Christ to die. Bottom line. If it, if it were up to a system, because God already gave a perfect system, we could keep the law, which we can't, then there would be no reason for Christ to die. John Bunyan, by the way, this is a fun fact to know and tell. My great-grandfather's name was John Bunyan Murphy. Uh, my parents were going to name me after my great-grandfather. Um, so my name was going to be John Bunyan Brookins. But praise God, my mom stepped in and said, you know, Bunyan is just not that great a name. Uh, so <laughs> instead, I got John Barton uh, Brookins. Anyway, John Bunyan, we're really digressing, aren't we? Uh, here's, he, John Bunyan was, by all accounts, um, a good Christian young man. Uh, if you saw him, he went to church, he went to a Christian school, he was very, very smart and followed all the rules. And if you had looked at him, you would have said, yes, that's a, yeah, that's a Christian. But he was wrestling, he was struggling over his salvation, struggling to find victory over sin and peace with God that he was longing for. John Bunyan, by the way, for those who don't know, is the author of The Pilgrim's Progress, probably the most influential book in the history of Christianity outside the Bible. But he got to a point one day where he said this. One day as I was passing into a field, this sentence fell upon my soul, your righteousness is in heaven. By the way, this sentence comes from Luther's preface to the book of Galatians that he had been reading. And he said, and I thought with all I saw with the eyes of my soul, Jesus Christ at God's right hand. Just keep following along with me. There, I say, there, I say, is my righteousness. What, what is he saying? I, I started thinking about Jesus at God's right hand, and then I thought, wait a minute, righteousness isn't with me. It's there with him. There is my righteousness. So that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, he lacks righteousness, for that was just before him. Do, do you follow what he's saying? He's saying God couldn't look at me and say, that's not righteousness because Jesus is right there. He would have to look through Jesus to see me. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself. He looked up to heaven and he said, he's my righteousness. I don't have to work. 
not to try to make or not make myself more right. He's my righteousness. And he goes on and says, now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations fled away. And I went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. It hit him. Salvation hit him. It wasn't about a Christian system. It was about the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to fly through the last two points. Religion versus the gospel. Many versus one. Many verses one. I, I will confess this. There, there, there are a lot of different types of religions. There's universalism, which pluralism. There's exclusivism. Christianity is an exclusivism type of religion. In that, we say there is only one way to get to God. And it is through Jesus Christ. A lot of other religions will claim there are a lot of ways to God. I heard T.D. Jake say uh, one time, there's, there's, all, there's a lot of ways to Jesus, but there's only one way to God. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. He is the only way back. He redeemed us in this way. Jesus, as we know, says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. Paul says in Acts, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under, this Peter, by the way, I may have said Paul, other name under heaven given to mankind by which we might, must be saved. It is all about Jesus. If you're here today and you're trying to find your way back to God, then I want to introduce you to the person of Jesus Christ. He's the only way to get a right relationship with God through what he did on the cross. And, and that cross gift is a gift of grace that's freely available to you today. Here's great news for all of us. Most religions claim that things are temporary. The gospel is eternal. Let me explain it, read it, illustrate it, close Here's the idea. With a system, with a many ways, with an earned mentality, if I screw up, then what happens? I'm out. I'm out. It's all about what I do, so it's temporary. I could be out at any moment. The gospel is about all that God has done for me. It's about his work of grace in my life. It is about the eternal promise that I am his if I follow him by grace and faith in Jesus Christ. In Galatians, again, he says, well, this is complicated. Let me get to it quick and try to move through. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promise to Abraham and his child. Promise here means covenant. He made a covenant relationship with Abraham. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. Listen, he's saying all of God, God can't, even you, as sketchy as you are, you think I made, I'm making an irrevocable promise. I'm making a promise. And so you're going to stand by that promise if you have anything 
person of character. You got a contract. Now think about this. God, who has no shadow of turning, he made an irrevocable promise with Abraham. This is an eternal promise. What was the promise based on, he's going to say? The promise was based on faith, crediting to him as righteousness, all about God giving to Abraham. The law, he's going to say, he's going to say, is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we would be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom. How? Only by believing in Jesus Christ. He, he is saying to us, this is your belief in Jesus Christ puts you into the permanent covenant promise that God gave Abraham hundreds of years before the law was ever given. Jesus came and said, for God so loved the world that he's given me his, his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what kind of life? Eternal life. Paul in Romans gets to the, this question. He says, what can separate us from the love of God? What? Give me something. And he goes through a list and eventually comes to this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what Paul is saying. Listen, all religions basically say this. I'm going to get God's, I'm going to earn my way. I'm going to get into God's presence. But the gospel is this. You couldn't get here. So my son came. Jesus went, died on the cross, and has brought you here. How did you get here? I brought you here. How are you getting out of here? You're not. I've got you. I've got you in the palm of my hand. See, religion says I'm holding on to God. And my hand may slip. The gospel says, I've got a hold of you. And nothing can separate you from my love. Paul is saying every time we go to a religion mindset, where we start living the law, we start acting like religious people. And that is a dangerous place to be. Instead, let God hold on to you. Let me close with two short things. Titus says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, what is the it here? It is the grace of God. What does the grace of God do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. We don't live those lives in order to get God's grace. God's grace teaches us how to live that. And now, the grace of God is this. It's, it's not what I ought to do, but because I've got God's grace, it's what I want to do. That's the gospel as it transforms your life. John Bunyan got so radically saved through this righteousness deal with Jesus that he could not stop preaching. He couldn't stop preaching. Well, he was preaching something different than a religious system. Are you with me? 
If you read Pilgrim's Progress and really delve into it, he is, he's not teaching a religious system. So, what do you think the religious system, they was not happy with John. They didn't, they, they, they didn't, they basically said to him, look, quit preaching or we're going to put you in prison. And he said, I can't, I can't quit. Now, at this point, he has four children, one of whom is blind and his wife is pregnant. And they say, look, all you got to do is stop preaching and we won't put you in jail. He said, I can't stop preaching. They put him in jail. His wife has a miscarriage. His family suffered. And he's just like, I can't, I can't stop speaking of the gospel of grace, the righteousness of God. He ends up being in prison for 12 years. In prison, he writes an autobiography called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. What a great title. Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And in it is this poem that he writes. I am now in prison in body, but my mind is free to study Christ and how unto me he is kind. For though men keep my outward man within their locks and bars, yet by the faith of Christ I can mount higher than the stars. Their fetters cannot spirits tame, nor tie up God from me. My faith and hope they cannot lame, above them I shall be. Beautiful poem of freedom in the midst of a prison. If you want to get into a true prison, get into religion. But if you want to experience the life of God that is unbounded, walk in his grace. And then no matter where you are physically, you'll be free in him. During those 12 years, he also wrote Pilgrim's Progress while in prison. People, I, I, I just want to say to us this morning, God, give us faith like that. Let us see that our righteousness is in heaven. And it has been translated to us. Give us faith that materialism in this world can't strip us from because we know that God is good. God, give us faith that sin in this world can't strip us from because we know God satisfies. Lord, this, God, this morning I say, I believe that you are good. Help me to see, even to a greater degree, this salvation that comes by faith alone. Help us to put radical obedience in its place that is just a response to your great grace in our lives. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We praise you. I pray that if there's anyone here today who doesn't know this, the person of Jesus Christ, that they would come to faith in Christ. They would receive this gift of grace for themselves. To know that they can't earn it, they can't get there on their own, it's all by your grace. We thank you. We praise you. We rejoice in you today, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today,